It's currently... Let's have a quick look. 11.25pm. And we're standing outside of number 30 East Drive uh, in Pontefract. We've just done a couple of live streams um, throughout the night with some interesting results. And, um, yeah, welcome. Welcome to this special edition of the Deathly Dark podcast. Now, we're talking quite quietly at the moment because it's a busy area and there's a, a lot of families here obviously put themselves away into bed, so we want to make sure that we don't disturb anybody. So we're going to be pretty, keeping this pretty low-key. How are you feeling, Mrs. Deathly? Yeah, I'm feeling good now. Yeah. I was, um, it was a little bit stressful earlier. Mm -hmm. Slightly, <laughs> slightly distressing, right? Slightly distressing. You're shaking it off, though. Yeah. 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 Good night? Yeah. Yeah. There was one, I mean, are we giving spoilers away? Sure. We I can mean, talk about what's just happened. Not everybody that's listening to the podcast has watched the stream. That's true. But can still get access. No, well, let's just talk about what um, happened briefly. We don't have to get into too much detail. Basically, the thing that freaked me out the most was there was a, a pair of big old a pair, like, a, what do you call it? A bunch of keys, mm -hmm. really old, like, iron keys hanging next to the fireplace. And we'd been in there for a while, and suddenly we looked around and they were swinging. Yeah, that was they a were strange that was a very That was probably the most inexplicable one that we had. Um, let's talk about how it feels out here. It's, it's a cold, crisp winter night. We're into the um, middle of December now. It's the 13th of December today, I believe. Yeah. Coming up to the, it's the 14th tomorrow, because that's how, you know, time works. And um, it's, the air is very fresh. It's been raining overnight. Um, to the right-hand side of us, we've got um, Carol's house. Carol is the, the custodian of the house. She let us in here uh, earlier on this afternoon. And um, her, her house is illuminated by lovely Christmas trees and Christmas lights that are twinkling away, a multitude of welcoming colours. And then by stark contrast, you've got this barren garden. Yeah. And commented that the, things don't grow easily here. Do you think it would be a lot... Um, yeah, people It would have... be a lot... Quite a lot creepier here if there weren't mm -hmm. the big Christmas lights flashing. Yeah, yeah, well, I think we have some of his friends and his houses over in the distance with Merry Christmas hanging high, adorned there. And sort of, um, they do kind of ruin the, the sort of supernatural element in a way. But uh, yeah, this is a fascinating house. We're going to take you on this podcast, this episode, through the history of the house. Uh, we're going to walk our way through. We're going to talk very briefly about the Farrah family that used to live here. And then we're going to talk in more detail about the Pritchard family, who are the more famous haunting house. But let's, uh, for a start, let's just, um, let's just. Let's just let Fred know that we're here, and then make our way into the house. So I'll, uh, I'll get out of the way to allow you to squeak through Mrs. Deathly. And we've got Donald here as well filming with us. Um, there'll be some video elements uploaded in the heart here and there. I'm just going to... We were told by Carol when we arrived to um, lock, lock ourselves in and take the key with take us. Take the key with us. Look, I'm going to keep it in my back pocket. Because now. it tends to go missing. I've put the front door key in my back left pocket, OK? okay. So we can talk a little bit. So we can that's talk nice. You've told Fred. A bit more confidently now, a little bit more bolder. Um, so I'm going to just rough through the history of the place, and you can you can ask me some questions. Sure. Uh, hopefully, a little part more than I've got. So um, the, the haunting of the number East, number thirty East Drive, the the Black Monk of Pontefract, is probably one of the most infamous hauntings in the country. Um, it, it shares often is spoken with hushed tones, uh, in the same um, sentences as the Enfield Poltergeist, the Battersea Poltergeist, the Black Monk. Of course, as I said earlier on tonight, um, most hauntings 
uh, English hauntings tend to happen in old manor houses, you know, like grand buildings, grand lavish grounds, green rolling pastoral plains, you know, massive stacked stones, and um, you know, the whole we have like loads of servants and maids and people running around. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. So, what's fascinating here was a, a haunting of a council house, a seemingly mundane council house, a bit close to home, very close to home very close to home. It's got the trappings of a traditional working class family's house. Fascinating decor is that it didn't really change much uh, since the 90s. It feels like it stopped in the 1980s. This, I, as we made our way through the house tonight, I, I grew up as a young lad in the 1980s. I can immediately draw comparisons to my own childhood. Mm-hmm. The, the, the knickknacks, the the smell of the place is like a smell of old cigarettes. Uh, oh, it smells in. like pubs used to smell before the smoking. Ah, uh, smells like uh, pugs used to used to that, that kind of old mm, awfulness about mm-hmm. it. That's very, very Although, um, I have been told by people that ah. there have been worse smells in here. Okay. And it's frequently that there is a smell of like unspeakable things unspeakable, when people come terrible, in. terrible things. Um, so with all three hauntings, the Enfield, the Battersea, the, the, the Pontefract one, there's always um, similarities that draw through. There's always at the centre, it's always a young child, normally a girl who is uh, approaching her teenage years and the entity will almost always take on the, uh, the, the characteristics of an angry middle-aged man. There always seems to be something driven towards that, something predatory almost mm. in nature, which is quite unpleasant. Um, it took an awful toll of both of the families that lived here. Um, very quickly to recap, 1955, um, the house was built. Uh, the, the Farrow family, they're the first people to move in here. It was Bill and Barbara Farrow with their daughter, uh, Jane. They were the ones who moved in here, first of all. And the moment we're standing in the kitchen, just as you come into the front door, you go to the left, there's the kitchen to the right immediately, you have a small downstairs bathroom, there's a storeroom, and there's the coal shed, the coal the coal room. Uh, if you go around to the left-hand side, it brings you into an old, small, but um, functional kitchen. And then if you carry on straight through, you go to the staircase, the half landing, and if you carry on through the middle past the old piano, let's go visit the piano briefly. I think this is a wonderful addition to the house. I, I don't think that the piano was always here, you know, I think it's more recent. Uh, and then round past the piano we have the living room itself with this old dusty armchairs, rocking chairs, all wedged in there, a big sofa, and an, an absolute classic 1980s fire set back in a fake stone surround. There are ping pong balls everywhere. I find that strange. Well, I think that comes from, Dawes, the fact that Fred is known to move small uh-huh. objects around so they leave the house. little items behind. Um, I put that ping pong ball there, actually. One down at the bottom. Seeing or the one on top of the fireplace. On top of the fireplace. Okay. Um, I also added this feather from yeah. your collection. You left me a little, a little, a little pigeon um, feather behind. A little Philip yeah, feather. I thought it might Thank be something that. that he'd enjoy. Really lovely. Um, so just to talk briefly more about the Farrow family, they moved in in 1955. Um, there was uh, Bill and Barbara and their daughter, and they were they were they they were they were they were terrorised for uh, about nine months. I think they lasted here for about nine months. Um, they would report strange smells, noises, bangings, things being dragged around high above them. Um, they would report uh, tears in the furniture. 
and then tears and rips in the same pattern started to emerge in the daughter's crib, cot, pram. That's horrible. And that's when they decided enough was enough. And it was a chance meeting. Yeah, with a baby. No, no. They're bringing children. That's a sinister that's bringing children into it. Um, they, then there was a chance meeting between um, Barbara Farrer and a woman called Jane Pritchard. They met each other one day and they got talking about their respective houses. And Jane lived at number 47 Checkerfield Road. So that's around the corner. Around the corner from here. Uh, interestingly, she believed her house to be haunted by a young girl. And she just didn't want to live there anymore. She said something along the lines of, what is one ghost to another ghost? Something like that. Thinking, you know, this is a bigger house. They were making quite the upgrade, going from a smaller property. This is quite a large space. It's, like you say, it's very dated. But as we've done recently, moving into quite an old-fashioned house, we've, we've kind of hot, we've gutted the place out and we're making it our own. We're doing quite a lot to it. It mm. wouldn't take a great deal to bring this up into quite an amazing space. Can I just... So they, they just swapped houses? They went to the council and they, it was old and above board. They didn't, they didn't right. just swap a house. They were both, so at the time, they, because they were young families, they were, they were married and they had children, either children here or children on the way, um, that gave them um, eligibility to claim a council house. And the two of them, the Farrah family and the Pritchard family, both owned council houses, and they basically went to the council. I imagine these days it would be something that would just be like, no, you can't do that, you can't do that. But back mm. then they were like, sure, if you want to do it, it's not a problem. You know, it was back before computers and machines made decisions for us, it was a human element. They would just all said, look, you know, we're not happy with the house we just want to swap they were said sure that's fine so they swapped and in May 1955 I think it was the Farrer family moved out and the Pritchard family moved in mm -hmm. and that is the family that is at the very centre of the hauntings so I'm going to take you through the history of the hauntings Mrs Deathly are you going to move around the house we are we are but we're going to start first of all down here in the living room where we're currently standing, surrounded by little knickknacks and tchotchkes. There's a lovely little late, little um, thing here. In memory of Jean, a true lady of number 30, thank you for allowing your story to be told, remembered by everyone who has visited. So the Pritchard family have now moved into the house. It's 1966. Uh, the family consisted of the father, Joe, the mother, Jean, the daughter, Diane, who was 12 years old. There was also a son, Philip. He was 15 years old, and he actually didn't live in the house. He he stayed with the maternal grandmother, who was called Sarah. Joe Pritchard himself actually passed away in the house in 1986 in the small bathroom upstairs. It was a suspected heart attack. And then Jean lived in the house on her own for 25 years after that. Um, nothing but a small parrot for company. Yeah, the son, uh, Philip, and the daughter, Diane, they moved away. Uh, and, and Jean lived here. It's, it's got the trappings, hasn't it, of, of a, a, an older lady's house. It's got that vibe about it. It's got that feeling to it. Um, now, of course, all this happened in a time long before checkbook journalism, that idea of making money profit from terrible, frightening old stories. So mm -hmm. genuinely, um, everything that happened in here, there was no real reason for the family to report it as they did. Yes, yeah, interesting. Um, we we talked briefly in other things about the the stages of poltergeist hauntings. Um, I'm not going to go greatly into detail in them. You know, there's a whole episode that we can do. But the seven stages basically break down to the first one is is a presence. It's a feeling of anxiety, of dread, that feeling that something mm -hmm. is there. The second one, noises. People start to hear strange, inexplicable noises, thumps, scrapes, bangs. 
the third stage is moving objects, items actually moving around the house. The fourth stage is called apporting and disapporting. Apporting basically means something appearing suddenly. Um, Bill Bungay, who owns the house at the moment, he says that a domino apported right in front of his head and launched itself violently at him. Uh, disapporting is the inverse of that. It means things disappearing. And that side note is one of the reasons that you won't ever stay here. Yeah, he says because of that flying domino, he will not remain here. Number five is destruction. Uh, normally targeting personal items, beloved treasured items, sticks is communication. Sometimes you'll find letters, you'll find writings on walls. In more extreme cases, people have actually seen fires start randomly mm. in front of their very eyes. And seven is the final stage, which is threat to life. That's when people have violently been thrown across the room, pushed, dragged upstairs, as we're going to talk about a little bit later on. Now let's make our way, um, we'll stay here, we're in the living room, we'll stay in the living room still. So the very first stage is things are were, were, were often, often in the case of poltergeists, the first stages are often missed. So you're talking about that feeling of dread, of anxiety, of uh, feeling that something isn't quite right. People can, you know, put, not a, just the human condition, so that's just being alive is just feeling that way. Wow. Um, noises and bangs and thumps, people will draw you know, comparisons, but they'll, they'll, they'll draw rational ideas, ultimately. They'll kind of go, no, 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 that definitely yeah. was the house selling. Yeah, and houses do mm. Creaking make a lot of weird noises. Mm. So, example, you know, we live, in a, we live in an old house at the moment, and mm -hmm. at night when it's sort of settling and the floorboards are popping and banging, the first few weeks we were there, we were like, oh my gosh, is there somebody, mm -hmm. is there somebody in the room? That's really quite frightening. And then we find out, you know, it's just the floorboards <laughs> resetting themselves and everything. So the first time that a registered stage of poltergeist haunting happens in number 30 East Drive is one afternoon, Philip and Sarah, the son and the grandmother who don't live here, are standing in the room where we're standing now. And suddenly, at head height, they see dust appear. They see like a white dust. Um, Philip described it like volcanic ash, like fiery ash, and it settled over all of the furniture. They actually found this layer of filth over everything. And, and, and So it seemed to just come from above head height and fall about, from there. Yes, yeah, so initially when they saw the dust falling, they thought it must be because of the um, dust coming from it must be something upstairs in the ceiling. At the moment, the ceiling is this kind of, it's that, it's that 80 swirly stippled plaster effect, that kind of really awful thing that you can never ever, it's a, it's a decision, the walls are the same actually, you can never get rid of it, it's it's, it's fairly gross. I quite um, like it. No, I refuse, we're not having that in our house, absolutely not a chance. Um, but no, they said that head height, and they cleaned it all up, and as they were cleaning it up, they moved to the kitchen, mm. which is where and we're going to go now. As will we. And when they got in the kitchen, and they started finding items to clean up with, they started to see small pools of water appear on the floor and they formed so perfectly, so round, that it looked like they'd been placed there, strategically, intentionally placed. Now they had a plumber come out and investigate the pipes, everything was fine. They lifted up the linoleum, expecting the floor to be wet, to be damp, but they found absolutely nothing. There was no, there was no water coming down up from underneath. And that's what it looked like. More than anything, it looked like water was coming from underneath. Now, I just want to very quickly talk about the, 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 the catalyst for this haunting. Mm -hmm. So this area stands in a part of Pontefract, and it's believed to be at the same eye level as the ramparts of Pontefract Castle. Um, 
And it's believed that there was a point, there was an old well here, which is where the, the, the monks of the late ten hundreds, I think it was the, the Order of St. John's, I think they were called, they would uh, get their fresh water from here. And the story goes that a monk was was raping and murdering young girls. And there's two stories, there are two threads of the stories. The first one is that he was throwing the bodies into a well. And the second is that he was actually found guilty. His hands and feet were cut off and he was thrown into the well. Now, we don't know which one of those two is true. Either way, there's something in that well. Yeah, something <laughs> in the well. Um, the well is 100% here. It's, it, it, it straddles the line between the two houses, between 30 East Drive and the neighbouring house where Carol, the custodian of East Drive, mm -hmm. lives. Um, they had to pull up part of the floorboards in uh, the house neighbouring us to get to the well. So stop damp was constantly coming up, so they poured concrete and cement into it to stop it from happening. Um, it's believed that that well being there is the, that those are the those are the is stone tape theory. It's the idea of analogous recordings attaching themselves to old, like a, like an old tape recording. Um, somehow something afterwards attaches itself to mm -hmm. those sites and that's where it all comes from and that's where the idea of the water coming from beneath comes from the idea that the well somehow the water was coming up from underneath everything and was pooling itself here and that's where that idea came from it's weird it's spooky i don't like it i don't like it now as the day went on um more and more strange things started to happen. Um, they were in the kitchen cleaning up and suddenly they heard a loud bang from the corridor and they made their way through into the hallway. Follow me this way. I'm only following him because I have to because I'm attached to him by a big cable. You are, yeah, almost. <laughs> no escape to it. And they stood here at the bottom of the again? stairs where we stand now and there's a potted plant. The potted plant normally lived at the bottom of the stairs where we're currently standing, but the potted plant was out of the pot. The plant was halfway up the stairs. The pot was at the top of the staircase. And then, to make matters worse, the light switched on. Like someone had just flicked a switch. The top of the stairs, the landing light came on to highlight the plant and the pot as if to say, look at what I've done. It's for you. Behold my art. I have created something wonderful just for you. After that, door started to rattle, windows started to tremble in their frames. Um, they heard the sound of someone running around upstairs, genuinely, as if somebody was marching around the highest point of the building. And neither Philip nor Sarah could bring themselves to go upstairs. And after that, things just escalated violently. How do you feel about the staircase? You do keep looking back towards it. Yeah, I don't like it. I mean... Part of the reason that I'm looking is because earlier in the night, during our live stream, I did place a couple of things up the stairs, mainly at the top, a miniature basketball, which I put really close to the edge of the top step, knowing that it makes a really uh, recognisable noise when it's bouncing. So I was kind of hoping that if there was somebody in the house with us, that they might it give it a little push. A little bit of a shove. And you're welcome to do that if you're... Around. If that basketball flies at my head now, I am out of here like a shot. Absolutely gone. Not a chance. Um, so yeah, at this point things accelerated, objects started to be thrown uh, through the, 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 the space, through the air. Uh, they'd see things being guided along like a hand had actually picked them up and moved them intentionally. They would hear bangings inside of the walls, the chimney, sounds on unoccupied floors, electrical items going haywire. And as you said earlier on, treasured items would be found damaged, vanished, family photos torn and slashed. And in one particular 
occasion in the um, kitchen area where the fireplace is, keys ported in the air and fell down on top of Mrs. Pritchard's head. Uh, so there was 19 keys, I think, is what the, the thing said there. And there was one particular key. She managed to find home to all the keys. All the keys belonged to certain doors and locks. But there was well, there one, are a lot of doors in this house. There are a lot of doors, but one of the keys, the one remaining one, they, they couldn't, didn't, they didn't know what it was. They just couldn't. They didn't find a home for it. Was it an old, an old key? Well, they yeah. say they say there was a thing, wasn't it? Leave the keys. Now, this, we talked about the keys briefly earlier on. We we did our live streams, and at one point, the keys were moving mm-hmm. of their own, seemingly. Oh, of, of course, he's gone to go find the, the keys. Don's now. off to check. Big Don's gone to find the keys. See what he can see. Mm. So, still at the minute. Still at the minute. Still. They're not moving right now. Um, they called the police. They did call the police, but what could the police do? There was nothing they could do, was there? No, I mean, it's funny you should say that because I'm uh, just sidetracking a minute, but when I first came to university, I had an experience with something and my first thought was to ring my mum and she said mm-hmm. to me, have you told the, what would it be, like the student liaison? Yeah. And I, and I just said, what, um, what are they going to do? do? <laughs> so standing here at the staircase, um, there's a really violent, violent incident here when... Suddenly, there was a neighbour um, talking to Jean Pritchard at the bottom of the stairs, and suddenly, the grandfather clock at the top of the staircase launched itself down towards them. They had to actually jump out of the way. Um, they started finding items thrown out of the bedroom windows. We're going to make our way up now. Hold on to the banister. Holding on to the banister. out for the balls. Satisfying creak from the stairs there. It's very creaky, isn't it? It would be impossible to creep around this house if you were like... I was thinking, for example, um, mm. Most Haunted came here. They were... They were um, kind of... People blamed them for faking things and yeah. sneaking around, but it's impossible to sneak around that's this the house. That's thing, yeah, it's not... It's a very difficult house to sneak around. So oh, this is... Um, oh, that's oh, nice. Oh, that's a nice sit-down, isn't it? It is a good sit-down. This is Diane's bedroom. This is the bedroom that was Diane's facing out. And one of the neighbours came around one day and said, there's loads of stuff over the hall, over the, the lawn, and they found loads of items belonging to the girl. Like, they'd been hurled out of the window as if something in here had said, get out. Uh, both the mum and the dad, their items were hurled out as well. At one point, the whole thing took on a really remarkable turn of events when they started finding green green slime coming out of taps. That sounds a bit ghostbustery, doesn't it? It does. It does sound like, a, and they they genuinely took the slime. They found it inside the cupboards as well, and they um, they sent it away for analysis. But nobody ever found out what it was. They never never discovered what it was. Stopped as soon as it started, and then they started calling an outside helper. Uh, a local vicar was called in. Um, and said this house has a presence which is both unholy and evil. And if you go back 11 years, this is all happening in 1966. If we go back to 1955, when the Farrers lived here, the first pregnancy that happened uh, was, went off without a hitch, but the second one, that there were complications. There were strange complications. And they called the family doctor who visited, and this is a man in the 1950s, 1955. He's a very straight-laced, very sensible man. He walked into the house and genuinely said... It's like walking into a barn. It feels open and wide and cold. And he would never come back here again. He never genuinely would return back to this house ever again. After they moved house, after they swapped houses, the doctor would visit the Farrah family completely freely. No issues at all. No hesitations about it. There's something out of this house that put the put the chill up his spine. Same with the vicar. The house has a presence which is evil and unholy. Now, after the vicar visited, 
it's almost like the presence got angrier, became more frustrated, violent actually. Violent and angry, things escalated. Uh, the family at this point, everybody were talking, um, Philip, the son talking, uh, Sarah, the grandmother, uh, 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 Jean, Diane, the daughter. The only one who didn't accept it was the dad. Joe. Joe, hardworking Yorkshireman. He wanted no part of it. He thought, there's, only, there's no way this is happening. It's all, it's all rational. There's always going to be a reason for it. And I was sitting in Diane's room now. Um, and they're, what have we got on the wall? Who are they? Who are they? Who are they? That's Hanson. That's, That's definitely not Hanson. <laughs> is, is it the Osmonds? Oh, yeah. That, That's Donny Osmond. Osmond. There's Donny at the back. That's the Osmonds. And then we've We're got... We're looking at um, a poster. It's a big yellow poster. And then the other side, we've got um, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And there's a Thunderboard board game. And then really weirdly, there's a Peter Kay autobiography. I think someone must have left that here. People do actually... People do leave things, yeah. yeah. Um, but the, I love the TV, the old Sony TV. The, the Trinitron. The old... Triniton? Triniton? Yeah. It is a Trinitron. Trinitron. I found the manual for it downstairs. Wow, with the push buttons and the, 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 the dials and knobs. It's fantastic. I wonder if it works. It's amazing. I think it might do, you know. One thing that always happens in these stories is the idea of the young girl, um, the young girl, girls, uh, being haunted by an elderly form, an older man. So in Battersea, we have the story of Shirley. In Enfield, we have Margaret and Janet. And in East Drive, we have Diane. Diane seems to be the centre of attention um, for the entity that is haunting this house. really goes after her she's actually the first person to see it to see it actually take on a form she's the first person to see it she's walking through the landing one day making her way to bed and suddenly she sees this tall black shape lunging at her and it gets hold of a a, a, a hat stand a coat stand and and it throws it towards her but stops short and then just it, it's almost like something it lurches towards her then it stops and then slowly applies pressure to her to a point where she's she's not been hurt but she's trapped and like pinned pinned by it and there's a phrase i've been someone has, i saw someone use the phrase um the goldilocks effect what's that not too hot not too cold just right just enough pressure that she couldn't get away and she screamed and mm-hmm. philip and jean came running uh, and they, they tried to drag and wrench this thing off her but they couldn't move it and it was stuck in place uh, weirdly when she stopped struggling and she just slowly and calmly maneuvered her way out from underneath it she was able to escape with that with ease almost like mm-hmm. it was like it was making a point it was making a point that it, it wanted to to frighten her somehow it wanted to frighten her and then she had to go to bed in this room and try to sleep and even now we've got, you know, we've got the light turned off and we're sat here we've got a small light on a camera illuminating us and like could you imagine as the light slowly goes out as it's doing now just the quietness the quietness it feels different as soon as the light yeah. goes down we um we we sleep with a white noise machine in in our room 
we have like a, a sound mm -hmm. of rainfall that we become very accustomed to. We live next to a train track, train line for a really long time, and that when we when we found it, when we moved that that that. The sudden absence of the yeah. sound was actually we couldn't sleep so we we, we actually we, we got a, a clever little device that makes the sound of like rainfall and thunder and we we can't sleep actually if it switches off in the night if, if, it, if it glitches we both mm -hmm. kind of jump with a, it, it the sudden absence of that sound makes us <gasps> jump up and 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 be awake suddenly there's something about that like you know, back in the 1960s, you didn't really... I mean, you could have had a radio on quietly and there's no way you, I couldn't sleep in this room. I mean, it's 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 hot and it's musty and I can't... Where that is the is radiator a, in here? It's, oh, it's, it's on the there, side but of the feel bed it. There. I'm going in. No, it's cold. It's I turned the heating off when we got in. Stone cold. That's something we've not talked about. Is, is the upstairs of the house is thick and stuffy it really air, is really like, and nothing I've ever experienced aggressively horribly thick and warm and it's 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 awful it's it's, it's you feel like you've been crushed almost don't you Ugh. now as you mentioned the last person to believe was Joe mm -hmm. the Joe the father the dad um, one we we to this obviously we, he never really spoke about what happened but he once went into the the coal room should we go down to the coal room yeah, if we must. Come on, let's get out of the cold room. I mean, you you were shut in there. I did. Earlier I sat in there for a little while earlier on, but I think it's um, I think it's worth. We can come back upstairs in the moment when the story begins and proceeds itself. But we're now going to make our way downstairs into the cold room. <gasps> what? What? Yeah, but what? It was at the top. What was? The ball was at the top. I left it at the top. So how did I just on. trip on it there? Was it also this is? So it was a, here. We've got a number of small juggling balls and a little basketball that we mentioned at the top of the stairs, and one of the juggling balls the appears to have moved. The basketball is there still, but that small juggling ball was on the top step, and, and it's now on the second half landing. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Where's the other one? The other one's still halfway down the stairs here. Yeah, put the put the ball back. We'll see. So, so Don's going to put the. He's going to put it back up at the top of the stairs. Hmm. I'm sure it's not just me. So now we're making our way through the kitchen. Oh. Mrs. Deathly's going to need to trip over. I'm tripping over a lot. And got the tripsies. What we're going to do now is we're both going to go in the corner. Oh, of course we are. Well, it's immediately so it's small. freaking freezing yeah, in here. It's so cold. It's a small room. It's a sort of um. If you, to give it a sort of a bit of a modern thing, if you've ever watched the US version of The Office, this is like Ryan the Temp's office. It's a very small box room, and we're going to ask Don to close us in. Oh, are we? Here we are. Close that door, Don. I don't want that. I want the darkness. You stay out there. You stay out there. Bye. I don't want this. Just for the record, I don't want this. So now we're in the call room. And it's absolutely pitch black in here. There's no light whatsoever. It's just a small, very, it's maybe, it's maybe two feet across and about four, four feet deep. There are some old blocks of coal. How are you feeling, Mrs. Deathly? Don't like it at all, does. Not a big fan. No, I feel like I'm going to cry. So, so one night, one night Joe came in here on his own to get some coal and the door slammed closed behind him and he found himself trapped in the room. 
and eventually he got out. He did get out, obviously, but he never spoke about what happened to him, did he? Never spoke no. about, never shared it. Never shared what happened. Something in this little room changed him forever. Something fundamentally altered him to the core, to his very being was changed. You okay? No. <laughs> tell, me how you, tell me how you're feeling. It's really cold and I don't like it. And I feel like there's no escape. And also there's a mirror at the end of the room. And I don't know why there would be a mirror in here. So Joe can check on his hair in the darkness. <laughs> yeah, okay, let's leave. That's Can't not enough. Come on, let's go. Coming out now, Don. Oh dear. Are you okay? It was good for the experiment. In the name of art. I'm not a fan of that at, all. at all. I don't intend to ever go in there again. Weird right? Also, please, Dorian, can you do a favour? Uh-huh. Do, do me a favour and yeah. stop looking over my shoulder. I didn't as know if I you've was. seen something. Sorry, my apologies. <laughs> um, so, the very first sighting of the Black Monk uh, happened at the... Set the, 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 the first floor of the house, so we are going back upstairs now. And it was Jean and Joe, so we're gonna make our way upstairs, Mr. Death, if you care to. And hopefully, the juggling ball is exactly where we left it. There were two here before. Yeah, there's three, there's three all together. Three, three juggling <laughs> balls <laughs> and a basketball. It's funny because I don't remember seeing that second one last time. Yeah, I don't remember seeing that one this no, time. No, thank you very much. Okay, so we're going into the main bedroom now, where the uh, yes, where the dolls live. So the main bedroom is, um, it's it, it, it's it, proper stuff in strange here. Strange old tiles on the ceiling, thick floral wallpaper. There's very odd artwork dotted around the place. You've got a weird, weird old. Uh, Painting of a give myself some slack. An old photograph of a of a soldier in an oval frame. There are a number of very odd-looking old dolls. Painting of, of of Jesus. There's one doll here that's looking right at me. Yeah. So one night, Joe and Jean are in bed in this room, and the bedroom door opens by itself, and they see. As we're looking out here. You can see onto the half landing, and they saw a black robed figure standing there looking at them. As Joe got out of bed, it disappeared. Our neighbours at the time started seeing the same figure while they were doing washing. They'd often see it running up and down the yards, the back streets. In fact, the current owner of the house has been contacted by... Um, by neighbours and has said, you know, can you can you get it under control? Because it runs up and down the back streets and it triggers security lights to this very day. Uh, and neighbours have said, can you can you do something about this? To which you know, Bill has said, well, what would you want me to do? I can't, I can't. The problem with the dead is they, they 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 do what they want. Quite frankly, um, they called the ghost Fred, didn't they? 
Hmm. You can tell us a little bit about why yeah. they would do I something mean, like that. That happens a lot in poltergeist um, cases historically, and it's understood that people do it to humanize mm -hmm. and make it less scary. So I know the Battersea poltergeist was given the name Donald. Um, I think jokingly, um, it was because of Donald Duck. And um, similarly here, they called the ghost Fred. Yeah. Um, as they thought, you know, Fred, it's not really a very, there's nothing scary about Fred, is there? Yeah. Well, it humanizes it, doesn't it? It makes it, it yeah, takes, it takes exactly. away the power, you know, um, to, to talk to it. To it makes it more know. like a, a character. Yeah. Rather than an unknown. Weirdly, like cartoonish names as well. Donald, Duck, Fred, Flintstone, that kind of haunting reached a crescendo. We know this um, in 1966, the later part of 1966, when in full view of the mum, Jean, and the son, Philip, Diane was actually dragged up the stairs by her neck. Some unseen force, some horrific entity, grabbed this girl and pulled her up the stairs by her throat and there were bruises all over the girl's neck there were, there were, there were photographs taken um, to, to log the evidence uh, and some some people suggested you know darker things in a way I mean when I say I mean maybe, maybe the, the, the injuries were caused by someone closest to home shall we say and let's not go any further than okay. that yeah. I don't want to go I don't want to go any further into that than that um, and the, the, the young girl, the family, had like projected these things onto it somehow. Um, the Black Monk was seen one final time. One final time, a few days later. Uh, this time, it was the end of this particular wave of poltergeist activity. Um, he was witnessed, it was witnessed, downstairs near the fireplace, where the well is supposed to be, and someone, they, they witnessed it, and it, it actually sank into the floor. Mm. They actually saw it in front of their eyes, almost melt into the floor, as if it was it, it was it was done for now. Whatever energy, whatever power it had, it was done for now. Now Diane and Philip, they grew up, they moved out. Um, sadly, Joe did pass away in the small bathroom that's just out of this bedroom down the corridor, uh, June twenty first, nineteen eighty six, of a heart attack. And after that, Jean lived here mostly alone for twenty five years, as I mentioned, nothing but a, a little parrot for company. And it seemed that for a while, Fred had, was done, was done. But that's not the end of the story. Mm -hmm. um, what we know now is obviously we're in East Drive at the moment. We've, uh, we've, we've paid money to get in here for the night. And we've been doing a number of live streams. And that is what the house exists for now. Around the early part of 2010, a film was made called When the Lights went out um, and it was filmed in a studio recreation of the house. Um, a producer was a guy called, a uh, gentleman by the name of Bill Bungay. Uh, he discovered the house for sale, brought it to promote the film and they actually, weirdly, they're the premiere here. Hmm. Uh, two people who won an, a, a, a competition, they actually had, they got to have the premiere of the house and they played it for two people in the living room. I actually read that the person that won it didn't Somebody didn't turn up. Oh, that was a different competition. So there was a there was a, a radio competition where you could win uh, a dinner here, 
It was okay. you and your you and your partner with um, somebody and their wife. I think maybe it was Bill and Nelly that, that mm-hmm. operated here, but they, they did, the people didn't turn up for it or something, and um, the house had kind of got its own energy. And ever since then, strange things happened. Um, items would go disappearing. I think the most weirdest one is when a, a set of keys disappeared. And they were found in an old vacuum cleaner. The mm. vacuum cleaner didn't work, but they found the keys, keys in the bag. Why, why did they look in the... Why would you look in a Hoover bag for your keys? Mm. That's a weird... That's a weird logic, isn't it? That's a weird line to go, I know where my keys are. They're definitely in that old Hoover. <laughs> definitely in that old Hoover. Um, they'd find one occasion a jigsaw box that was sellotaped closed... They found all the pieces spread across the downstairs living room, across the rug, across the carpet. Electrical things would constantly turn themselves off. And the weirdest one is um, recently, in the recently in the history of the house, um, some people in the living room they had a small, like a pop, like a, like a comical pop. And when they went to investigate, uh, they found a small girl who was here as part of the house, not like a small girl ghost, because that would be you know, genuinely terrifying. Uh, she was standing there with a small plastic orange in her hand. And when the mum said, where'd you get that from? She said, the man in black gave it to me. This is a small girl. There's no way she knew the history of the house. She just said, the man, the man in black gave it to me. Gross. It's super gross, right? I think, actually, it might have been Carol that asked... Who was uh, talking to the child? There's a wonderful book called... <clears throat> is it called The Black Monk of Pontefract? Yeah. That you kindly bought for me. Mm-hmm. Um, is it either, either... Was it Christmas? This Christmas just gone by? Or, yeah. or my birthday, maybe, which is in August? Um, obviously, we were supposed to be in here a year ago, but the world kept falling over. So it's wonderful to finally be in here. Um, and and you can read the book and and of course if you if you if you want to you can visit East Drive mm. and we very much do recommend that you do so um, in a respectful way I think that's important to say we we've been tonight you know you know us if you know the podcast you know us we're normally we're quite ridiculous but we've definitely treated this one with a lot more respect and mm-hmm. um, delicacy than we normally would do shall yeah. we say but it's been a been a great night yeah any final thoughts mm-hmm. as we sign off here um. I don't like the hallway. Okay. As I'm sitting here in the main bedroom, mm-hmm. I've been looking out of the door, and it's just a little bit creepy out there. Oh yeah, I could, I could absolutely not sleep here. You can get people that have nights they sleep over for the night, and there's, there's absolutely no way. I'd never get any sleep. It's the it's, the house has an atmosphere. It has an energy that I'm, I don't, I don't enjoy. At all. Agreed. 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 So I think with that, it's probably time to wrap up and leave. Yeah. Leave the warm stuffiness. Mm, yeah, I'm feeling like going into a, a deep, a deep pool of deep warm That's water. weird. I was saying I couldn't sleep here, but I'm actually like, um, mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm, I'm ebbing. Yeah. I can feel like the energy being drained out of me by the stuffiness of it all. So thank you, friends, for listening to this very special episode of the Deathly Dark Podcast brought to you here live, recorded in a singular take as we made our way through number 30 East Drive. Thank you for supporting the Deathly Dark Tours in all of the mad endeavours that we partake of. Do feel free to join us on our Facebook page. Uh, of course, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and if you want a little bit more spicy Deathly Dark in your life, you can, of course, join us on our Patreon page where we release all manner of unique 
unique content, including audiobook readings over the months I've read Turn of the Screw, I've read The Signalman by Charles Dickens, I'm currently cleaving my way through Dracula. Uh, That's although, a long one. Any final words to the listeners? Thank you. Concise. Thank you for everything. Elegant. <laughs> Oh, a little throw gurgle. And a little there throw for you. gurgle as an added bonus. I think that's the end of it, isn't it? Wow. That was my throat. Glorious. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> good say, night. Good, say goodbye, Mrs. Deathly. Goodbye, Mrs. Deathly. Unbelievable. We're not bringing that joke back.